Hello and welcome to the Tennis Fanalist podcast. After a brief spell on the sidelines, I'm back, Michael's back, and we're ready to preview two very exciting tournaments this week and react to some unbelievable tennis that we saw in the last week in Barcelona and Belgrade. I know you're a little bit disappointed that you didn't get your uh, George Ezra week on the ATP tour with Belgrade replacing Budapest, um, but I'm sure they both lived up to it in the end. How are you doing? Yeah, honestly, uh, some amazing matches. I watched uh, quite a bit of Djokovic Kratsev on the Saturday, I think that was, and I just didn't think that could be topped at all. And then come sort of 24 hours later, uh, Nadal and Sitsipas come along and, and, and won a match that was. Um, perhaps has even motivated me to get out on the court. I've, I've been playing tennis this morning, so playing tennis this morning, come back to do the podcast. I feel like my my whole day now is, is tennis-centred and it probably need to look at my dissertation as well so um yeah that's not on tennis unfortunately could not wish for any better of a tuesday by the sounds of it um just in in reacting to last week's action we're going to start in barcelona Rafael Nadal winning the title, the 500 event, for the 12th time. And he reclaims his spot as world number two as a result, which for me, as a uh, looking at Nadal as, as such a tough competitor, I feel like that might have paid a bit more into how elated he was after that win over Tsitsipas. But of course, the nature of that gruelling match would have would have paid enough in into you know making him so so proud and so bullish after winning the title. It really was an amazing spectacle. He won six four six seven seven five, defending a match point at the back end of that third set, and it was three hours and forty minutes, which is the longest ATP three set final of all time, uh, or since they've been recording it. Um, since they've been putting the stopwatch on at the start of start of matches. So, I mean, really, really mind-blowing stuff. Um, you know, you've mentioned that you think stylistically Nadal and Tsitsipas really do bring the best out of each other. And I'm sure this, this match was, was, was no different. Um, you know, it's really, really exciting tournament. It comes in the middle of, of some Masters events, but I think we've had sort of bang for our buck in terms of entertainment in, in building towards the Masters that are approaching. But yeah, Barcelona, what a tournament, what a final. And uh, yeah, two amazing players I'm sure we're going to see more of in the next few weeks. Yeah, to be honest, with Monte Carlo happening uh, last week, though Monte Carlo was a really good tournament, actually. I, I think in some respects, Barcelona and Belgrade, despite being smaller tournaments, were, were even better. Um, and what I love about them is, is even though they are smaller tournaments, uh, the big players still care so much. And it's really good to see when you've still got uh, members of the big three, you know, they've, they've won it all, uh, Djokovic and Nadal, and, and they still care so much. You know, Djokovic was not happy about that loss to Karatsev. I know, sorry, we'll, we'll go on to Belgrade. Um, and, and Nadal putting in so much effort and just looking so pleased when he's won it. And you can sit there and you can think, oh, you know, he's won Barcelona for a 12th time. Um, what does he care? But I, I think it's just amazing to see the amount of passion. I, I think I think he does fear Sitsipas in a little way. He was saying in his uh, press conference before that uh, he didn't know if he had what it took uh, to beat Sitsipas yet this year. He, he knew that he'd... I uh, was obviously lost to him in Australia and he and since past been playing fantastic and he actually did say before the match uh, he wasn't 100% sure how high he could get his level up and I, I do think the down sees Sitsipas as 
a real threat to his sort of cake or um, um, what's the word? reputation at the, at the moment and, and perhaps be the, the guy that could replace him as, as the clay court sort of best in the world. And I think that makes it, that that heightens the drama. I think that that Australian Open loss as well just made it mean so much more for Nadal. Um, and yeah, as you say, three hours, 38 minutes that match. Um, it surpassed Djokovic and Karatsev's match by 11 minutes, which had uh, set the the record for the longest match this year of best of three sets uh, and only lasted for, for 24 hours before these guys said it. Um, an absolutely amazing final. The the second best match I've watched this year and the best match being I've watched this year, also those two out of Australia. I think stylistically, these two are, are, are fantastic to watch. I'm pleased Nadal is back at the world number two spot because there was a, a danger with him being ranked third uh, I mean, obviously that could still happen with tournaments to come, but if he goes into the French ranked third, um, I wouldn't really like that because, you know, we all know Nadal should be top seed at the French and he could mean he ends up getting put on the, the same side of the draw as some of the top players as well. Um, but but honestly, it's just a fantastic match. And I, I think so refreshing to see at a tournament like Barcelona, Nadal still cares so much. And, and as I say, I do think he, he sees it as a bit of a threat. So I think this win means so much to him. Yeah, Nadal gets his uh, his ups and downs and his mixed reviews, I think, from certain people when, when watching him. He's been around a long time. But, you know, one thing that you can never question is his desire and, and his drive. And, yeah, just that love for winning. And, um, the, you know, he's obsessed with it. And as a competitor, you know, we sometimes we say no one can dig deeper than Novak Djokovic. But Nadal, I mean, throws his hat in there for sure. Um of course, Tsitsipas being on that unbelievable run, winning Monte Carlo, didn't drop a set before the final against some good players, you know, Alex Dimonor, Felix Auger-Aliassime and Yannick Sinner, all on his way there. And he, you know, brushed them aside or, uh, you know, made those victories look a lot easier than than, than they, they should have been, really. Um, so I'm sure, you know, even though he, he loses the match, he still takes great pride from, from the tournament. And yeah, I, I expect him to pick up a, a, another win streak whenever he's back out on the court just three players to highlight um the incredible 19 year old Yannick Sinner had an excellent week do you want to come in on that Michael yeah sorry just before you you get on to those other players I just wanted to ask you um because watching that match I still think Nadal has gears that you can go up to you know I've seen him play so much better on the play and I think that will be the best thing he takes from that match is is that he can still get better I, I do wonder if maybe since Passa started this clay court season so well, winning in Monte Carlo, getting to the final here. But I, I don't know if we can see Sitsipas this year get better than that. Do, do you think that um that there is a danger that maybe Nadal is still sort of performing at sort of just a subpar level slightly? Um, but maybe that's it from Sitsipas. And if Nadal can still beat Sitsipas on on not his strongest day. Are we just a, a little bit worried for for Sitsipas going into the French Open? Not worried, but or do we just think he's he's not quite ready yet? In terms of winning the tournament, um, you know, I, I wouldn't see him getting past Nadal. I see semi-finals a benchmark for me again with Sitsipas. You know, minimum last day. I expect him to make the last four at the French Open. Um, I'm not sure in in terms of where you rank the players who. Who uh, who would be sort of your second favourite? I'd still say I'd still edge Djokovic over Sitsipas on a clay court, despite this form. 
Um, you know, I'd love to see that matchup on clay. I think that would that would tell us a lot uh, about what to expect. Obviously, team with his injury problems, if team was firing fit, I'd maybe maybe argue that him and Djokovic were still ahead of Sitsipas on a clay court. But with team's uh, fitness concerns, you have to say that Sitsipas is probably probably trumping him in, in terms of our expectations for the French, definitely so. Um, I'm not worried about him at all. Um, you know, I definitely expect him to make the last eight and, and probably the last four. Whether he goes any further than that, you know, he's, he's only 22 years old and he is sort of fighting against two of the greatest players of all time. So I don't hold it against him. He's got he's got plenty of time. Um, and even at this this level, if, if he can't top this current level that he's shown in the last couple of weeks, for the, in the rest of the clay court season, I still think that will bring him plenty of success um, at this stage of his career. No, you know, I still think he's he's looking very good. But speaking at this stage of his career, he's got three years on the man he beat in the semi-final, Yannick Sinner. He did well uh, to reach the last four, beat Igor Garasimov, uh, the, the lowest profile win of the week. And then Roberto Bautista, a good, he's got a 3-0 head-to-head record now on the ATP main tour against really did pull the wool over the eyes of, of the Spaniard, got a little bit lucky in a, a mega tie break in the first set. He got a dodgy bounce, which meant he managed to uh, get a mini break and, and, and then um, clinch that tie break and went on to win the second set 6-2. So got a bit of the rubber at the green there, but the best players, if you give them a leg up, they, they make the most of it. They really do make it count. So it was a, another week of just extreme encouragement and, and, and wondering what the extreme potential of Yannick Sinner is going to be. He's up to 18 in the world now. Um, and he also beat Andre Rublev in the quarterfinal, which was arguably the, the most impressive of those wins. Rublev, I think, might be suffering from a bit of fatigue. I mean, the guy's relentless. He plays pretty much every week. He's not playing this week, but that's, that must be his first break in a while. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too concerned about Rublev. Obviously, he had that amazing win against Nadal at Monte Carlo behind him. So he should still be feeling pretty good about the rest of uh, the, the clay court season. Another couple of players I wanted to mention was Pablo Carreno Busta. Uh, he's, at, he's at 12 in the world now, pushing that career high of his, which is number 10. He had a solid week, not out Diego Schwartzman um, to make the semi-final. So another good week on home soil for PCB. Uh, Cameron Norrie, of course, is, is the last player that I wanted to highlight. He's broke into the top 50 for the second time. Um after his performances last week, he beat Salvatore Caruso, which is a, a trickier first round than, than I think he made it look for sure. Then Karen Hatchinov and, and David Goffin, although the Belgian had to retire in that match. And at just 25 is certainly looking up now at, at 50 in the world. So some good vibes around Cameron Norrie. But yeah, Sinner probably still the main story. Didn't quite steal the whole tournament, but he really is looking on fire up at the moment. Yeah, just... Quickly on Cam Norrie, I think uh, I watched his match against Rafael Nadal. Obviously, Nadal being the the champion, the um, the man to beat on clay, and I, I thought Norrie played very well actually. I think it might actually be the first time I've ever seen him play on clay, but he looks like he could be quite a decent player on that surface. And um, it's great to see him get those wins. You know, the hatching off we know can can be a, a bit hit and miss sometimes, but uh, to, to beat Goffin, very good. I know Goffin retired, but I think he did win that first set six love. Um, and that was a set before Goffin retired. And, and Goffin, I think, was actually winning that second set when he retired. Um, but um, yeah, no, a, a very good week for, for Norrie. And obviously Sinner, or just one thing that really stands out for me about Sinner is a lot of the time with the young players, we see them have these 
these off losses, you know, that we wouldn't expect them to have. And it's been a problem with up and coming players, you know, they'll, they'll perform really well and then they'll go and lose to a sort of player that you just, you don't expect them to. But apart from just looking at his results this year, um, obviously won that title for the Australian Open, then lost to Shapovalov in five sets, which was, that, it was only like two days after he had to play about a hundred times. Then he, he lost to um, Bedenay uh, in Montpellier, which was a disappointing loss. But since then, he's, He's, he's been brilliant all year. His, his losses this year are, you know, Medvedev, Kratsev, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, you know, he, he's he's only losing really to the guys that you're expecting to beat him and he's coming through against everyone you expect him to, which I just think is a really impressive trait to have at this age. Um, you know, 19 years old, 18 in the world now. Um, I said uh, at the end of last year, I thought he'd make top 10 this year. Still a little way to go. Um, yes or no? But what do you think? Do you think he's going to get it this year? I'm, I'm still going to say yes. I'm going to stick to my guns. Um, it's going to be close. And we, we obviously need to see how he's going to be on the grass and sort of the hard course in the back end of the year. But but I'm going to say he's going to end the year at 10. Yeah, quite hard to say. I think by the end of the year, maybe the, the sort of year-to-date rankings will become the rankings as they do rather than what we've had in, in the last year. But I definitely think him and Aslan Karatsev are playing like top 10 players at the, at the moment. In my eyes, you know, I see them as, as top 10 players in terms of the level. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely on. I think he might need to pick up a couple of 500 titles and then that could get him there. Obviously, he got to the, uh, a Masters semi-final, maybe, maybe even a final in the last few months. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely on. It's going to, going to be close. You know, I don't see him bursting in there, getting to sort of seven, eight in the world. It'll probably be nine or ten. Um, but yeah, obviously Berrettini picking up form uh, last week will, will might play into that that question and just to see how far Sinner can go. But yeah, definitely sort of top 13, 12, 11, it, it, it'll, it'll be tight. Um, you know, and it might be exciting to see maybe if he can even push to make the ATP Tour Finals. It really is really is putting in some some consistency is, is the alarming thing, as, as, as you mentioned, at, at that age, just that bed and a loss, probably the only standout one that, that you didn't think, you know, he's, he's, he's an outsider going into this. So, um, yeah, no, Yannick Sinner continues to be the biggest prospect on the ATP Tour and, and maybe that we've seen in, in a very long time. Um, so, yeah, that concludes our insight and uh, sort of coverage of, of the tournament last week in Barcelona. It really does build the uh the excitement I'm, I'm buzzing for the rest of the clay court season now that has that has set the bar i think barcelona um but moving on to belgrade and the home favorite novak djokovic playing a 250 tournament which came as a surprise to me in his home country lost in the semi-final to aslan karatsev who didn't even go on to win the tournament you know berrettini wins it in the final in three sets uh in a, in a deciding set tiebreak but i think just to start with djokovic and, and that match against Karatsev um you know what are your thoughts are you, are you concerned I personally am not it's a, it's a 250 event but you know as a spectacle to have Karatsev go and dump Djokovic out in his backyard is uh you know really really impressive and we've been running out of things to say about Aslan Karatsev in terms of superlatives uh in the last few months but you know he just keeps going he's, he's having an unbelievable season and he's up to 27 in the world now 
Yeah, this man uh, just just never stops surprising. It's it's quite amazing. Um, and I do think, not to take it away from Berrettini at all, but I do think Berrettini won that match in the final just purely, won, well, not purely because I think one of the big factors was, was Karatsev's uh, fitness after that Djokovic match. It was such a grueling match. And, you know, you talk about... Nadal really caring about Barcelona. Djokovic's heart and soul was in this match. You know, in Monte Carlo, when he lost to Evans, he he did look a little, little bit disinterested. He didn't even look like he, he was sort of engaged in the match. But this match, Djokovic was was frustrated. You know, he, the crowd, not that there was a big crowd there because of COVID guidelines, but, you know, they were all behind him. It was silence every time said won a point. And, um, yeah, it's just amazing to see how well Kratzev is doing this year. You know, a guy that just four months ago I hadn't even heard of. You know, that's the amazing thing. You, you, you know, I might have seen his name once or twice on, on, on Flash score or something on the, on the Challenger tournaments, but I couldn't have told you, you know, his age, uh, any, anything about sort of where he's come from. That This guy is now, you know, as you say, as the year-to-day rankings will sort of become the real rankings towards the end of the year. I mean, this guy probably has more of a chance uh, than Yannick Sinner of, of making the top 10 by the end of the year, the, the way he's playing. It, it's literally ridiculous how well he's doing. Um, and this, you know, beating Djokovic, who he played in that Australian Open semi-final with no one expected him to win. Djokovic beat him quite comfortably in that match. Uh, and, and now he's he's just, he's going to beat Djokovic, albeit not on Djokovic's best surface. And Kratzev does have a good record on the clay. We, we did mention that before the clay court season, winning a couple of challenge tournaments on clay in the past. So, you know, it, it's maybe not a surprise that uh, he's still able to continue the levels that he has been showing on, on the clay course. But um, yeah, yeah, just fantastic. I'm not worried about Djokovic either. I, I think, you know, 250 tournament, although he still cares a lot, it's, it's not the best of five format. If that match was at the French Open and Kratzev took a, a two-set lead, I certainly wouldn't write off Djokovic coming back and winning it in five. Um, you know, he, he loves that that format of play. But uh, though I'm not worried, you know, it, it is an interesting uh, indicator to, to see where Djokovic is at ahead of the French Open. You know, he's played two tournaments now on clay and he's lost to... Dan Evans, which was not a good performance at all from Djokovic, and, and now he's lost to Kratzev, um, despite with, with a better performance. I think to get his confidence up ahead of the French Open, because I think Djokovic is someone who needs confidence. You know, he's one of those players that thrives on confidence, and and you know when he gets into a bad run, you can see that continuing because he sort of gets down on himself a little bit. And I, I think over Madrid and Rome, providing he is playing them, uh, we need to see some some better performances from him. Yeah, just to touch on the champion, of course, it was a real feel-good story for me, to be honest, to see Matteo Berrettini be able to put together a full week of tennis. We've seen his quality in drips and drabs since his his really poor 2020 season. Um, you know, he still maintains a ranking of, of world number 10, which is purely due, due to the new ranking system. He would probably be struggling for a place in the in the top 100 if it wasn't for that. Um so, yeah, just to put this week together, you know, is it is at 25. This is a player that's made the, the ATP Tour finals before. So it really is good to, to see him back and, and performing at his best. I think it would have been a big shame if we were to see him fall away. He had some good wins. Um, he beat Marco Cecchinato, his countryman, Filip Kujinovic, uh, Taro Daniel, the surprise player to make the last four in Belgrade, and, of course, Karatsev in the final. And I think it's, 
it's a really crucial moment really for him. Obviously, we know he likes it on the clay. Just to get this win under his belt and he can feels like a fresh slate starting starting from here on in now for for, for Berrettini. He's, he's had so many poor losses and troubles with injury and just yeah, just bad form in the last year. So I think, you know, at twenty five now he's still got plenty of time and it's probably approaching sort of peak development stage of his career. So I think definitely a player that maybe before this week we wouldn't have been considering too much um, as in, in, in the run-up to the French Open, but definitely a player that's got the capabilities to, to make it into deep into the second week of the tournament. Yeah, fantastic from Berrettini. And I think he, he sort of became the begot, forgotten man a little bit, I think. Um, well, obviously last year not doing very well at all. And obviously with the COVID uh Pandemic, obviously less tennis was played, uh, so he might not have had a, an as bad year, providing things had sort of gone on as normal. But um, definitely becoming the forgotten man in, in Italian tennis as well, really, because you've got the likes of Sinner and Massetti coming up. Everyone's talking about them. I mean, we've been talking at length about Sinner and, and Lorenzo Massetti definitely looking good as well, especially on, on the clay courts. And I, it surprised me when I saw that Berrettini was still only 25. I think if you'd asked me at the beginning of the week what his age was, probably would have said 27, 28. I, d- I didn't actually realise he was still that young. And, um, you know, it, it could be that we, we could be looking three, four years down the line and we've got three Italians in the world, you know, possibly even six to seven. Um, if, if it all goes well, you know, it's a country that seems to be doing extremely well with tennis at the moment. And, and Berrettini has actually looked good this year. I mean, I know he hasn't played too much, um, but, but the Australian Open had a great run beating uh, Kevin Anderson in straight sets. Uh, the Australian is a, is a fantastic result. Um, beating Karen Hatchinoff as well and, and, and Macaque, the young uh, Czech. The young Czech. Um, so, yeah, and, and then obviously having to pull out before that six pass match with an injury. But, um, you know, he is certainly looking good in 2021. And, um, Perhaps a little bit of a dark horse, maybe, as you say, at the, the French Open. I'm not saying that he, he's going to go on and win it, but uh, if he can produce the, the levels that he showed the week just gone, um, you know, certainly if he, if he comes up against Djokovic or something in, in, in around four uh, or something like that, then he could certainly be a threat to, to anyone. Um, so, yeah, fa- fantastic week for Berrettini. And you could see that that meant a lot to him as well. And it's his first title since 2019, uh, his fourth title overall and third in, uh, on clay. He won one in grass, I think. In, I think that was in Germany possibly a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, first title in a while, which is sort of sounds a bit weird for someone who's been top 10 for so long. Um, but yeah, it means a lot to him and, and hopefully can get him back on track. Moving on to this week then, and you speak about uh, moving on to to tournaments in Germany where Berrettini had his success. Well, that's where we land ourselves uh, to, to, to kick off our, our previews of the tournaments this week in Munich. Uh, Alexander Zverev is, is the top seed. And um, we're just going to run through our, our quarterfinals in what is a, an interesting draw, just to give a little flavour of how we see this one going. Um, obviously a couple of 250 tournaments so we don't see many sort of top I don't think there's any top five players playing but still a really good opportunity for, for some players to get some crucial form um, with some back-to-back Masters 1000 events starting next week 
Um, so I'm going to kick off with my Munich predictions and my four quarterfinals. At the top of the draw, I've got Alexander Zverev. I think he's he's really good when he plays at home. Uh, he, he's quite good in the 250 tournament, won a couple in back-to-back weeks at the back end of last year. And, you know, he's definitely got the game. And in a draw like this, I think he's definitely the one quality player uh, at the level. Um, I had him to face Dusan Lajevic, who's actually lost to the qualifier Mackenzie McDonald in the first round. Uh, so he will face in the quarterfinal one of Ilya Ivashka or Mackenzie McDonald, which to be honest, is, is quite kind in, in the quarterfinal. Um, having said that, you know, Ivashka is, is playing some very good tennis at the moment and took a set off Rafael Nadal just last week. Uh, Lajevic, a little bit concerning, really. He's lost his last four matches now uh, to Tiafo, Evans, Del Bonis, and now McDonald. I know he's, a, he's approaching sort of the twilight of his career, maybe the wrong side of 30 now, Lajevic. Um, so, you know, he, he needs to gather a little bit of form before... The French Open being a big opportunity for him to get points as a as such a good player usually on on the clay courts. Um, my second quarter final, I've got Filip Krajinovic, who did had an okay week on on home soil last week. I know he didn't fulfil our faith yet again, Michael. <laughs> we backed him to get to the final in Belgrade, but he went out in in the quarters. I think it was. Um, I've got him to beat Yannick Hampfman to to make his way to the quarterfinals. He got a buy in the first round, of course. Where I have him to face Dominic Kurtfer. I think he's a strong player on a clay court and in his home country can can definitely produce some good form. He's got uh, Philip Kohlschreiber in the first round, which was a bit of a throwback. Haven't seen much from Kohlschreiber in the last few months. Um, so hopefully he should get through that. I've got him to beat his countryman, Jan Leonard Struff, in the second round and actually progress to the semi-final in uh, this tournament. My third quarterfinal is a player that I keep on backing um, and I feel like you definitely disagree or have, have been tending to, and that's Nikolos Basilashvili. Uh, he's just made it into the second round uh, just now. Um, to make the quarterfinal, I actually have him to make the final. I've got him to face Norbert Gombos, who by mistake is a lucky loser and the Aslan Karatsev replacement. So myself and Michael have been, yeah, where we picked Karatsev to end up in the draw has now been replaced by Norbert Gombos. So I think Basilashvili, uh, you know, might have quite a kind run and if he can get some momentum going, definitely has the ability on a clay court to go deep this week. And then just at the bottom of the draw, uh, I've maybe gone for a little surprise, but I think I saw enough in Guido Payer's form last week in Barcelona. He really tested Kane Ishikori. It was a set and a break up before the Japanese player really turned it on. Um, and I think in a, what's been a tough few months of Pella, I think that was enough to show that he's, he's just starting to turn the corner. So I think he can have a good week and I've actually got him to make the semi-final and beat second seed Casper Ruud in the quarterfinal, who again has a bye and Pablo Cuevas. So I fully expect him to make, make his way to that quarterfinal without too many problems. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you who I've got to win it after, after you rattle through yours. Yeah, I've got the um, same top quarterfinal, obviously, Batlajevic. Um, yeah, a bit bit concerning, those losses for Lajevic, especially that one to McDonald's. I know it's always tough playing a qualifier. Um, you know, they've, they've had the practice already on the courts and the, the game time, but that's certainly one I, I didn't see coming. Um, I certainly think Ivashka could be a threat to Zverev. I, I expect Ivashka to get through that match against McDonald in the second round. And he's looking very good. Uh, that set against Nadal last week, um, which we didn't actually talk about on our Barcelona uh, uh, chat. But Nadal actually, uh, the, the eventual winner, went a set down to world number 111 at that time, Ilya Ivashka, uh, really nearly putting him out. Um, 
which was, was would have been quite a surprise. Um, Ivashka also uh, smashing Rusabori in the first round as well. So, um, I, you know, I certainly wouldn't write him off making a semi-final against Zverev, but I have got Zverev to progress through to the final. Um, I've got Krajinovic to make the second quarter-final and face Jan Leonard Struff. I can see your um, your pick with Dominic Copley, you know, a player that's on, on decent form, I think, at the moment. Um, but I think Jan Leonard Struff, for me, uh, just, just the more solid player on, on the clay. Um, and, and at this tournament, Cope for um, Cole Shriver currently in action at the moment. Cope for uh, three two up as we do this on serve. Um, on the third quarter final, a bit of a risk of gone for Sebastian Corda to beat Niklas Bazalashvili. I did have Bazalashvili to come through against Montero, uh, even though I was surprised to see Montero was actually being fancied as the favourite by the bookies, which definitely surprised me. Um, Baz actually coming through that one quite comfortably, but I've taken a bit of a risk. I've got Sebastian Corda to be uh, Daniel Eli Galan of, of Colombia, I think, uh, or possibly Venezuela, Colombia. Uh, Marcus is nodding at Colombia. Um, and actually, he's got the Colombian flag next to his name right in front of me, so I should have known that. Um, and because I backed Kratzev actually to get a bit further than Marcus, I've, I've been maybe a little bit screwed over with Gombos to the semi final, but. You know, with, with second round against Correa, uh, potential third round against Corder and Basil Ashby, I, I certainly wouldn't write off Gombos making it to the semi. We do often quite see uh, lucky losers playing well, less pressure on them maybe. We saw Taro Daniel was a lucky loser when he made the semi of Belgrade last week. Um, and then the fourth quarter final, I had an exile Poppy Rin to play at base Casper Rue. Poppy Rin has actually gone out to John Millman in, in a great match, actually. 7-6, 3-6, 7-5 to Millman. Didn't catch any of that match, but... Uh, you know, always good to see two countrymen against each other, and, and that looked a really good scoreline. Casparu uh, for me looked really good at Monte Carlo uh, the other week, and I've actually got Casparu to go on to win the tournament and beat Alexander Zverev uh, in the final. I think Zverev is a two-time winner of this tournament. Um, the BMW Open, I think this one's also known as, and then we've always got the BMW next to the court. Um, I remember Philip Kohlschreiber actually winning it a few years ago, possibly. Um, but uh, yeah, but I, I have got Rude to, to beat Zverev in the final. I just think he's on a bit better form than Zverev and, and loves the clay court surface. And I can't really see anyone on that side of a draw that I'm too worried about uh, knocking him out. I know Marcus obviously backing Basil Ashby to the final. Personally, I, I can't see it happening, but you know, we'll see. He has actually got a second round against Pablo Cuevas. Uh, Casper Ruud, who, who is a bit of a, a clay court veteran and, you know, it could be a bit of a threat, but uh, no, I know about Ruud. And yes, yeah, so as I say, got Ruud to go and, and beat Zverev in the final uh, with, with Gombos and Krajinovic as the, the losing semi-finalists. Yeah, you say uh, how well Casper Ruud did play in Monte Carlo, of course, making that semi-final and how that's kind of fueled your pick for him to win the tournament. Now, that is the exact thing that's switched me the other way. I have my reservations about Kasparud in terms of his his fitness. Hard to, hard to criticise his commitment, but definitely his strategy in terms of being fit week after week. Now, the week before Monte Carlo, he played in Marbella and lost in the quarterfinal to 17-year-old Carlos Alcaraz in straight sets. And it was definitely not a performance to be proud of. He, I'm not going to accuse him of tanking, but he didn't look like his heart was in it. And for me, I think a lot of that might have been because he knew he had the Monte Carlo Masters, which is a you know, a tournament of, of greater stature, more opportunity to win more ranking points the week after. 
now with the Madrid Masters and Rome Masters coming back to back after this week's tournament, that makes me think that Rude might apply the same tactic. And so with that ideology, I have him to yeah, go out to Guido Peya in the quarterfinal. Um, then I have Basilashvili, a kind of a, a shock punt, but I keep I keep <laughs> staying on this Basilashvili hill. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm feeling quite confident that he is a good enough player to, to make the final. He's got two, two ATP Tour titles on a clay court. And I think, you know, he might, might be uh might might be the week for him. I think he can definitely test Zverev in the final if he does get there. But I do have Alexander Zverev to take the title on home soil. Um, so Zverev for me, Kasparud for Michael in Munich. On to Estoril. Do you want to run through your quarterfinals of this tournament in Portugal? Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, as you say, Estoril in uh, Portugal. And, um, you know, Portugal, kind of a funny one. Uh, not Obviously, you've got Hal Salsa uh, or, or Salsa um, playing, but then you know, not too many players from Portugal. Uh, about. You've only got one other Portuguese player in this, actually, a, a qualifier. Salsa's only, the only actual Portuguese uh, wildcard in it. Uh, Nuno Borges, uh, or Borgs, maybe, uh, Beating Jordan Thompson in an impressive first round win there. I think he's ranked outside the top two or three hundred. Uh, this Nuno Borges, so it'd be interesting to see uh, if, if he can progress at all. Um, so the quarterfinals, I've got a number one seed to face Albert Ramos Minolas. Um, Shapovalov, not really a player I rate too much on the clay, but I, I can't see him having too much of a problem in his first match, which will be a second round against even Marcos Giron or Corentin Mute, who did look very good last week, actually, uh, coming back. I don't think he played in a little while uh, before that. Um, I don't know if it's first tennis of the year or if it maybe since the Australian Open. It was definitely a little while. Um, but yeah, got Shapovalov to win that, but uh, I have got Ramos Vinolas to beat Shapovalov in the first quarterfinal. Um, second quarterfinal, I've got Marcos, uh, Marco Cecinato uh, to, to beat number three seed Ugo and Bear, a player who don't think he's at the best start of the year, to be honest, and, and not someone, I don't know if I've seen too much of him on clay, but I think he's a bit more suited to sort of the indoor harder courts uh, and Bear and, and Cecinato are coming through a first round match earlier today against Lloyd George Harris, uh, quite comfortably uh, breaking each Set got him to face Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, who was given a, a bit of a tough match against Pablo Andahar yesterday, having to go three sets. Um, but we all know Andahar definitely can be dangerous at, at this level uh, on, on the clay court surfaces. Uh, third quarter final is a quarter final I'd actually really like to watch if it does come off. Uh, I've got Carlos Alcaraz to come through against Marin Cilic later today. Um, Cilic being number six seed, a 17 year old Alcaraz. Um, then I've got him to get through against uh, Thompson. Obviously, that's now Borge or Borgs uh, in the um, in the second round, and, and him to face Kane Ishikori, uh, the number four seed, uh, a, a good player on clay. He got a few titles on clay, so I'd love to see how a 17-year-old fares against Ishikori. I have got Ishikori to beat him, and then the final uh, quarter-final, the the informed Cam Nori. Um, I've got him to face uh, Christian Harin. I did have Norrie to beat the fifth seed, Bublik. Uh, but Bublik actually beat him very comfortably in his first round match earlier today against Pedro Martinez. Uh, only lost three games, Martinez. Uh, a really good win for the Spaniard there. He's sort of been 
he's had flashes this year, I think, of, of looking quite good and then might follow up with sort of a disappointing results. So I've never really known where I stand with him, but I've, I think that could actually be a really tough second round for Nori. Um, and then obviously facing Christian Haring, really likes this level of tournament on the clay, got quite a few titles. I've got Haring to go on to win the tournament. Um Beating Nishikori in the semi and then Albert Ramos Vinolas uh, in the final, who I've, I've got to beat Chechenato in, in the semi final. So, yeah, hiring to uh, get the win, beating Ramos Vinolas in the final. Fair play. I think we're differing on pronunciation a bit with Christian Garin or Harin. I'm not sure, to be honest. I might have to have a little look at Chilean pronunciations after, after this episode. I think I've just heard other commentators say Harin, I think. I've definitely heard that. I haven't just sort of made that up myself, but whether they're pronouncing it or I, I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. That's one for another day. Uh, so, yeah, on, on to my quarterfinals. At the top of the draw, I've gone for that shock. I've gone for Corentin Mute to beat the top seed, Denis Shapovalov, in the second round. And for him to set up a quarterfinal with Albert Ramos Vinolas, who, yeah, is always a decent player on a clay court, 33-year-old knows what he's doing. I've actually got him to go on to make the final in this tournament. Um, that second quarter final, I've gone for Ugo and Bear to face Jeremy Shardy, who got a good win over Jaume Munar um, just today. Uh, so, yeah, that could be an interesting one. And Bear, I think, Chekinato's had a frustrating year, very slow start. You know, he's played quite a lot of tournaments and won one match and then lost, despite sort of looking good in the match that he did win. So that that could be quite an interesting one, as you mentioned, in Bear. He's had a sort of so-so season so far, maybe a little bit below par from what we were definitely expecting at the start of the campaign. I haven't seen too much of him on a clay court. I remember he lost to uh, Mark Polmans, the Australian player, in the French Open last year, which was when I'd I'd sort of seen this, the side of the draw that he was in and expected him bear to, to put a run, a run together. So maybe even if he does face Jeremy Shardy or Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in that quarterfinal, it might, it might be a pretty tough one for him. Uh, the third quarter final. Now, I did my draw before seeing the qualifiers, so I'm maybe paying the price a little bit. So I've gone for Marin Cilic, who I do not expect to beat Carlos Alcaraz this evening. However, that's what I've gone with. So uh, you know, come on, Marin. I think he's you know he's got a chance. He's definitely got the experience to to, to get past the 17 year old in Alcaraz. But um, yeah, so I've got him to play Kenichi Corey in the quarter final, who I think is playing some really good tennis at the moment. Is this is still part of his sort of recovery run from injury. And he's had some up and down weeks um, where similar to Matteo Berrettini, maybe where we've seen him put back to back wins together and look really good and then lose a match where you're just expecting him to kick on. But I think in Barcelona, Barcelona, it was a strong performance, went out to Rafa Nadal. Can't hold that against him. and actually beat Christian Garin along the way. So uh, yeah, I've got some good faith in the 31 year old this, this week. And the bottom of the draw, I do have Garin to play Joao Souza, the uh, Portuguese player, the wild card. I've got him to beat Cam Norrie. And uh, I did have Bublik, who's now gone out to Pedro Martinez, who, yeah, I completely agree with you. Martinez has definitely showed it in the past that he can be a tricky player and still got youth on his side. So maybe you might see him make a run this week. But yeah, I've gone for Joao Souza. He's a previous winner of the tournament and just hasn't really played a lot. And when he has, he's flattered to deceive a lot and fall, has fallen out of the top 100 in the last few weeks as a result. So I think, you know, maybe he can gather a little bit of form this week. Um, can I just, uh, just, just to budge in there, Marcus, uh, 
Norrie is currently 6-1-1 love up against House Elsa. Um, yeah, that's all right. So, you just need to get some momentum. Okay. Uh, you Maybe you'll be listening to this and, and Salsa's come back and won. But uh, I, Norrie's looking good so far. Okay. Well, maybe he's going to twist his ankle on the clay any minute now. Um, uh, speaking about how much I, I, I rate Nishikori after his performances in Barcelona, I am backing that up and I am going for him to win the tournament, which I think would be quite an important one for him. I think a lot of this year for Nishikori might be building towards the home Olympics in Tokyo. I think that'll be a massive tournament. It'll probably be one of the poster boys, boys for that uh, event in, in its entirety. So I think Nishikori, you know, he's, he's playing well. He beat Garin last week. I think he can do it again. And he beats Ramos Vinolas in the final for me. Um, any reactions? I know you said uh, before we recorded this episode that you were a bit surprised with a couple of my picks this week. I think Kasper Ruud might have been the main, uh, the, the main shock in there, not having him to make the final. But I think, you know, I definitely think Nishikori can, can roll back the years in Estoril and continue, continue his, his strong recovery and leading towards the French Open. Yeah, I mean, I, I can say all I like about how I might be surprised about your picks, but you are doing better than me at the moment um, overall in in the picks. So I, I can't I can't judge too much. I think the one that really surprised me was the, the Basil Ashby to the final, but maybe it shouldn't uh, surprise me too much because I know you, you do like to back him. Um, and maybe if it happens, I'll be uh, I'll be swallowing my words. Hopefully they, they taste all right. But um, yeah, no, um yeah, definitely some some quite good differences we've got uh, this week. So it could be interesting seeing how the tournament's develop. And I think Nishikori to win Estoril is is definitely a could be a good pick. I mean, he's what the tournament last week Barcelona. Uh, I think the four years since two thousand and three that Nadal hasn't won the tournament. Uh, two of them have been Nishikori. So um, you know, half of the time Nadal doesn't win Barcelona, Nishikori wins it. Um, so yeah, no, definitely a, a, a definitely a good pick. Okay, so I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, Michael's put his hand up, so hold on to your hats. Yeah, not the uh, the Zoom emoji hand, just using my my actual hand. Um, yeah, no, I just I saw this earlier and it really surprised me. Um, Rafael Nadal winning 87 titles now on the ATP tour. So, you know, you, you maybe say he's got time to get 113 more needed. Um, of those 87, how many, let's see how close you can get, how many do you think are on clay? Um, obviously, as he's gone on, he's played less non-clay events. So, like, in the last few years, the percentage will be a lot higher for the ones he's won on clay. But, you know, he's been around a long time. I haven't been able to monitor all of his career, really. Uh, how many? 87. 60? There's a ballpark. Yeah, one out. Six, 61. 61. <laughs> Very good guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, to, to be honest, it just kind of surprised me a bit to think that of, of 87 titles, from the Dow, one of the greatest players ever to live is only actually, and I say only, but, you know, only 26 titles, not on clay, kind of surprises me a little bit because he's been around so long and, and winning. But then that's a very good point you make, actually, playing a lot more clay tournaments in his latter years. But, um, you know, what what a statistic, 61 out of 87, what's that? I mean, I, I'm not going to, I'm not good at working out percentages on the spot, but that's that's a high percentage. That might be sort of roughly 65 to 70% maybe uh, on, on clay courts. So, um, yeah, just just amazing. 
Cool. So we'll leave you with that message of Rafael Nadal and his greatness. Uh, maybe he can push to 100 titles in his career. I'm sure there's plenty of life in the old dog yet. Um, so, yeah, as, as I was saying, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks a lot for listening. We will be back later in the week, unlike last week. Just had a little bit of scheduling issues, I think. We've both got quite a lot on uh, outside of outside of podcast recording at the moment, but should be able to take in a, a lot more of the tournaments this week. And we'll definitely be back towards the end of the week to look ahead to possibly the last eight, possibly the last four of these two tournaments as we look forward to the back-to-back Masters coming up and then eventually the, the French Open, the clay season really is starting to accelerate. Thanks a lot for joining me, Michael. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, and I'll see you next time.